conversation that <clears throat> you're neither going to be worshiping on this mountain. He pointed to Mount Gerizim, which was nearby where the, the Samaritans had built their own temple. He said, you're not going to be worshiping up there, and you're not going to be worshiping down in Jerusalem at that temple. But the time is and is now upon us that you're going to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And um, he said in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ and when he comes he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you Am he, and that's where we left off last week. Uh, and I don't know if she understood the significance of what he said whenever he said that uh, I who am speaking to you am he, but basically you, you see in that phrase as a I am statement, um, meaning I'm the same one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Um, I am, I, I am, and he may as well have finished the sentence and said, I am God, because that's really what that meant, I am. Um, as many of you probably already know, the book of John is a book of sevens. Uh, it's a reoccurring uh, thing all throughout and they're they're still discovering with the advent of the computer they're still discovering more of these sevens but there are seven of these I am statements in the book of John and um, I find that very interesting um, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman yet no one said what do you seek or why are you talking with her uh, it was really uh, uncouth you might say for a Jewish man to be speaking to a woman in public like that it just wasn't done and so I would imagine as they walk back up, they've gone into town to get food and, and what have you, and, and they come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman, and, and they, uh, they, didn't, they didn't even ask, uh, uh, why are you talking to her? But the woman then left, verse 28, left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So she's wondering, because he's already told her things about her life that he had no way of knowing. And could this be the Christ? So she's witnessing to her encounter with Jesus at the well. 
Verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Now, I do have a question that I would like to ask Jesus someday, and I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not even pretending to correct him or anything like that. I just want some understanding. And this would be the question of Jesus, you are God. You, you, you can do absolutely anything. Anything you want to do, you can do it. Why, when someone asks you a simple question, can you not give a simple answer? (laughs) You would have made my life on earth so much easier as a teacher, as just a person seeking to follow you. And this is a perfect example of that. They ask him in verse 33, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They've just gone through the whole process of going to town to buy food and get it and bring it back. And then then he says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And they're they're looking around and, well, somebody brought him some food. They're still on the earth level. And he's on he's on he's out of this world, literally. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now we can understand this because we looking back, we we know who Jesus is. They didn't have that prerogative before them. They are still trying to figure this out, this man who they're walking with. and They're, they're still trying to get this all uh, in, in their mind, wrap their mind around who, just who. But we have the, the, the position we can look back. We already know Jesus is God. God sent his son. We, we already know that, so we can kind of figure it out. That yes, his, he, he thrives on doing the will of the Father who sent him. Even as a young boy, when they, uh, 12 years of age, when he and his family went to the temple, 
and they all headed back home and they noticed Jesus is missing and then they have to go all the way back to the temple to uh, and in those days you would have traveled with the whole town you would have had a whole bunch of kids running and playing as you're going and and it was couple of days before they even missed him I hadn't figured that one out either yet but <laughs> but anyway when they went back they found him in the temple and he was actually discussing theology and stuff with the religious leaders and they said what are you doing here and he said I had to be about my father's business at a young age 12 he was already focused on that he was already uh, about the business of doing the will of his Father in heaven. And so when he says here that my food, what really feeds me is to do the will of him who sent me, well, obviously he's telling the truth, but he's letting them know that there's something more important than just having your stomach full. Um, I know I I have a hard time with that sometimes (laughs) because my stomach wants to override everything you know Um, it just even though I tell it no I'm not hungry you just ate and it says no I want more Um, I'm many times my focus is about my comfort and Jesus was so focused on what his mission was, he was always about doing the will of the Father. And that's what really fed him. And to finish his work. I find that interesting that he would say, to finish the Father's work. And that means that this whole thing of salvation, dying on the cross, and coming so that he can uh, introduce us to himself. And uh, the whole thing is about finishing something that God had previously started. And I find that very interesting, too. Well, uh, he explains the whole process of, of uh, witnessing and talking to others about Jesus and pointing them about the harvest, how to some. Uh, he uses an agriculture uh, illustration of how some plant and some water and then some harvest, and, but we all take part of it together. Uh, you've entered into the labors of those who've gone before you whenever you yourself plant and harvest and those kind of things. Well, he said that, and then it really happened, because in verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman uh, who had testified. So she had already, whether she knew it or not, she was uh, doing exactly what Jesus wants everyone to do. She was telling others about Jesus. Um And her testimony was, he told me all I ever did. Uh, Very short to the point. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed 
there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And that's the goal that all of us have when we witness to others about Jesus. Is that not that they believe because of our testimony, but then then they get the word, they read it for themselves, they they hear from God themselves, and and they become believers. Um, believing in those days was a little different because the church hasn't been born yet, and the Holy Spirit didn't come to live inside of them as it does us today. Uh, this was um, again that transition period that I spoke about transitioning from the Old Testament to the new and but believing that Jesus is the Christ uh, that was very core to what people believed and then I think after his death and burial and resurrection and disciples went out and telling about Jesus died for your sins. I would imagine these Samaritans, they said, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's the same Jesus. And we believed in him then, we believe now. And I think this was in some ways plowing the ground for the church. Now after... The two days he departed from there and went to Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, uh, it's about, depending on the way you go, but air miles, where the crow would fly, it's about 20 miles from Cana over to Capernaum. So it, it is a distance. Um, and uh, I think the significance of what is about to happen is Jesus is going to do something again that's impossible. Uh, the first sign that he did was he turned the water into wine. Water just does not turn into wine. Now, if, if the, the jugs had been full of grape juice and you, the wedding lasted long enough, I could see maybe that would happen naturally and I could explain it away. But you can't, water doesn't turn into wine, uh, no matter how long it sits. It may turn all right and get a little rancid or whatever, but it's not going to turn into wine. And in this case, 
you are not going to heal someone 20 miles away. Um, the televangelist can't even do this. <laughs> uh, 20 miles. And, and Jesus said to him, which is so true. We, we don't want to believe because we, we read the word. We don't want to believe just because somebody tells us something. We, we've got to see a sign. We're, we're still the same. We're always looking for some kind of sign. In verse 48, Jesus said to them, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no, no means believe and I, I have to confess I, I said the same thing when I was a very young Christian I wanted to see a sign I wanted to down deep in my heart I, 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 uh, Arthur Blessed came to town uh, there in Midland a couple of times and I got to meet him and talk to him and and uh, he was uh, there on several different occasions the church that we attended at that time he spoke there and he would tell about different miracles that would happen on the mission field where he was carrying the cross in different parts of the world and and there were some people from the church who accompanied him and actually saw some of these happen. And uh, one was a, a kid whose arm was withered and it was healed right before them. But, but he had to get up on top of his Land Rover at that point because the people were pressing in so in order to preach. And when he gave the invitation for people to come forward to receive Christ, there was such a rush, he had to stop them and say, okay, everyone who does not want to believe, will you just step back? <laughs> and and that, that withered hand being healed, the whole village knew this young man. And what it did, it precipitated then the gospel um, being received by all of these people and many they became believers so there's always a purpose to it and I long to see something like that and I, oh Lord you know am I even really a Christian I haven't experienced any and woe is me because I haven't seen I haven't uh, all these things and one day I was reading later in the book of John, how that Thomas, one of the disciples, was not in the upper room when Jesus appeared to the others. Well, Jesus leaves. Thomas arrives. They tell him Jesus was here. And he said, uh -uh, I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger in his side and I see the nail print in his hand. I'm not going to believe. Well, a week later, they're back in there and and Thomas is present, and Jesus appears. And Jesus just nails Thomas, and he says, Thomas? He, he didn't say, hello, how you doing? How's the weather? You know, all this. <laughs> Thomas? 
And that's the way Jesus is whenever he's dealing with you. He he just he doesn't beat around the he just whew, right to your heart. Thomas, hey, put your finger. You know, look, look at my hand. There, put your finger in my side. And Thomas says, "Oh Lord." And he acknowledges who Jesus is. And then Jesus says these words. He said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you've believed. In other words, he gives him credit for, for having believed. But he says, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And I thought, well, that may be spoken directly to Thomas, but wow, that applies to me. I have not laid eyes on Jesus, but I believe. I haven't seen the withered hand healed. I haven't seen those kind of things at that point in my life. But I choose to believe. And it changed my life, and I no longer look uh, for a healing or some kind of a sign. But as soon as I quit looking for one, I'm not going to say that it just happened just all the time, but I've had several people around me that have been prayed for, and, uh, and myself. Uh, have have had the touch of God, but it it had to quit being my focus first. I had to focus on just telling others about Jesus and seeing people get saved and come to the Lord, and then I, it began to happen. And then I'll just share one one instance of that. There was an elderly fellow. And he came to me and, and said, well, Pastor, I'm not going to be in church for the next several weeks. I'm going to Houston. And uh, I've, I've uh, been up to Lubbock, and I've tested, and I've got lung cancer, and, and it's pretty bad. And they're going to, I'm going to Houston. They're going to remove a lung. And, and would, you, would you, just when you remember, would you just pray for me? And I said, hey, why don't we just pray right now? And so... Uh, nothing special, just reached over. No, ever, the whole church, everybody, most of them had already gone. So there was no show about it, no anything. I just reached over, prayed for him. And I prayed, you know, Lord, be with him while he's down having this surgery and be with him and uh, would the nurses attend to him and all of that. And kind of as an afterthought, I just said, Lord, if it be your will, just touch him and heal him. Completely. In Jesus' name, amen. And, so, and God bless you and let me know how you're doing. A few weeks, he's back in church. He walks up and he's just beaming. And he said, Pastor, I went to Houston. I said, well, how'd it go? He said, I didn't have the surgery. And I said, what? And he said, before they do that kind of surgery, they want to test again and all. And he said, there is absolutely no cancer. It's gone. They even sent for the records 
that was in West Texas so they could evaluate them and look. And then he said, you definitely had it, and now you definitely don't. He lived 13 more years. And so God can heal. I know he can. I know he does. And, and, and Beth, don't ever give up on Justin. Um, I don't know what he's doing. I don't even pretend to know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I know that if it's his will, he can, he can heal partially, he can heal 100%. It's, it's in his hands. Uh, he can do it. Uh, oftentimes when I pray for someone, I, I'll just remind God of, as if he needs it. He doesn't need it, but I remind him, you know, God, you are able um, just if you're willing. And there is absolutely nothing, and whoever I'm praying for, I'll say there's absolutely nothing in me or this person that warrants uh, being touched by you or healed, but I appeal to your mercy. I appeal to your grace that you would be gracious and merciful and that you would touch this person and heal. And, and that, that's kind of along those lines that I pray. Because I, I want to make sure and put it in perspective of who God is and who I'm praying for is. That there's a huge difference here. And, and that if there is healing, there is any kind of a work done, that I want it to be clear that it's God who is doing it. And um, if you notice, every time that Jesus does something here in the book of John, just like turning that water into wine, that's impossible for man to do. Just If you notice in that story, he didn't even speak to the wine or the water. He just said, go draw some out and give it to the master of the uh, ceremony. And that, that's, that's all he said. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. And then with uh, this nobleman's son, go your way, your son lives. He didn't even, he's speaking to the nobleman. He didn't even speak to the, the illness that the son had 20 miles away. No big deal. Just go your way. Go back home. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them, the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign that Jesus did 
when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now I want to draw attention to that last verse. This again is the second sign. Um, if you turn back over to chapter 2, verse 11. This was after turning the water into wine. Chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Tells us right there, that's the first sign. And then when we read about this nobleman, Verse 54, this again is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And the result was, again, that that nobleman believed and his whole household believed. And then you're going to see this occur uh, several more times through the Gospel of John, pointing out this is a sign, this is a sign Um, I ask you to turn over to chapter 20 and read what John has to say. And this is after the the, uh, death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that uh, the Apostle John writes in chapter 20, verse 30, 30 and 31. Chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. And then notice this, the reason. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And I'll point that out because this is something you don't really see if you just kind of casually read through the book. But uh, the signs that Jesus did, they weren't just haphazardly done. And John didn't record, obviously, all of them. They all had a purpose. And it was so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's our Savior. He's my life. That's why he healed that nobleman's son. That's why he turned the water to wine. That's why he did all of these other healed of paralytic and different ones. So that we would believe. It kind of blows me away whenever I put all of that together. It really does. It's so profound and yet it is so simple. So just laid out. Just it, There it is. And it's like God says, here it is. Uh, I've borrowed a phrase from a television show. 
the information is out there. All you got to do is let it in. It's out there. Just, just let it in. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word, which you caused to be written down and recorded that we can read and learn of you and believe in you. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you did all of this for us. And we thank you, Father, that Jesus stayed the course from beginning to end. He never wavered. We thank you for that. That in the midst of a world that is just totally crazy, in the midst of a world that is so chaotic and people don't know their direction, they don't know anything, you absolutely know exactly what we all need. You know, um, you knew way back then what we need today. And we praise you and we thank you for that, Father. And... Uh, we're blown away by who you are, what you are, and what you're doing. And we thank you for it, Father. And I ask that you would open up your windows in heaven right now and just pour out a blessing upon every person here this morning as they go home, and that you'd be with them. And Father, once again, we do lift up Justin. We ask, Father on his behalf, that you would touch him and heal him and restore his health. And again, it's not because he is something out of this world special, but to those around him, he is. And so, Father, we would ask that you would just just heal him, Father, according to your mercy and your grace and your ability. Do that. And uh, also be with Beth and the girls and just bless them and strengthen them. And whatever it is that they need, Father, at their point of need, just give that to them. That they can get through all of this day by day. In Jesus' name we pray.